Jesus went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon. They'd come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, Jesus said, blessed, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, as we consider these challenging words, as always, we pray for insight and understanding into the relationships you're calling us into with you, with each other, and with ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you've been here the last couple weeks, you know we're in the midst of this fall series where we are wrestling with bad beliefs. Bad beliefs. We are on bad belief number three. You can go back and catch up with the series on AdventHope.org. We hope you'll take advantage of that. Both audio, uh, podcast, and video are there. And uh, so today we're wrestling with our third bad belief, and here it is. The belief that being blessed by God is primarily manifested as financial stability, absence of adversity, sustained comfort, and lots of fun. Hashtag blessed, if you will. (laughs) You're blessed when things are going great, when you're killing it, when you're sitting at the cafe with your oversized cup of your favorite drink, and your phone is at 100%, (laughs) hashtag uh, blessed. Or when you're surrounded by family or friends, or when you're killing it at work and your bank account is overflowing, that's when you're blessed. Our text of emphasis today, though, uh, gives another version of blessed. It actually goes to uh, Jesus' most famous sermon. Uh, We're most familiar with this sermon from Matthew. In Matthew 5 to 7, we're told about uh, Jesus going up on a mountain. It's also often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. But clearly, Jesus recycled his sermons. So he preached the same sermon again and again. And so in Luke 6, our text of emphasis today, we get another telling of the story. We know it's not the same instance because this time it says they were on a plane. So they're not on the mountain, they're on a plane. And so Jesus is uh, telling his sermon again. In Matthew, Jesus used metaphor. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Here, Jesus is much more overt. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the hungry. Matthew says, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus now is being very overt. Blessed are those who are hungry. Blessed are you when you are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when you're hungry, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh 
Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject you as evil because of the Son of Man. God's blessing, according to Jesus, isn't only manifested in times when we're killing it and where everything is working out great and we're satisfied. Hashtag blessed is a blight on the character of God because the reality is it's unavailable for so many in this broken world. So many don't have the opportunity to sit at the cafe with their full cup. I mean, thank God that's available to some of us, but if it's only available to those who, if, if, if blessing is only manifested in those who have the luxury of having family and friends around them and sitting at their favorite uh, cafe and having all of the luxuries that we have, then the world is a, is a, is a terrible place and God's character is in jeopardy. Because what about all of those who are suffering in this broken world? Think of all the people right now who cannot experience hashtag uh, blessed. Three billion people in the world don't have enough money for a healthy meal each day. War rages in Russia and Ukraine right now. Most people on either side don't want to be fighting in that war. There's civil wars going on in Afghanistan, Ethiopia, Yemen. The world is a broken place, and if being blessed is for only for those who are killing it and everything's going great and everyone is feeling satisfied, then God's character is in jeopardy. God's character is in doubt because how can he only bless those who are satisfied, who have it all together and who are killing it? It doesn't make sense. Hashtag blessed is a problem. And so Jesus direct, deals with it directly. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the hungry. Blessed are those who mourn. By the way, this makes sense. The United States continually ranks as one of the wealthiest uh, places in the world. In fact, I remember a news report a few years ago stating that the United States was the wealthiest nation in the history of the world. So if there's a place where prosperity, if pr prosperity meant that uh, you know, full of blessing and everybody was satisfied and everybody was kill killing, this would be the place, right? But there is so much turmoil here in one of the wealthiest nations in the world, we can't even get along with each other because we're dissatisfied. So, so having prosperity, having wealth, having a full bank account, doing well in, in, in your circumstances, that does not manifest itself. It's not a manifestation of God's a blessing. Uh, Jesus' words in Luke and Matthew aren't only countercultural today. They are, they are, but they're not only countercultural in our day. They were, they were controversial in uh, Jesus' day because back in Jesus' day, people thought the same thing. The people who were killing it, those were the people whose God's eye was on, who he, he was blessing. Uh, consider this. This is Luke chapter 18, a familiar story. This is Luke 18, verse 8. It says this, a certain ruler, so this is someone of means, someone of wealth, a certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, testimony honor your father and mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to them, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. When the man heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. 
Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this, they asked, what? Who then can be saved? See, they had the same problem. They believed in hashtag blessed. If you're killing it, if you're a ruler, if you got the, 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 the bank account is, is full, if you've got power over other people, then you must be blessed by God. These must be manifestations of God's eye on you and you, you, are, you are his. You, 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 are, you are killing it. And Jesus confronts that here again. <laughs> no, in fact, in fact, when you're killing it and the bank account is full and everything is seemingly going great and you're able to be comfortable, those are the times when you may be missing out on the true blessing. So that leaves us with a question, what does it mean to be blessed? What is the, what is the, the true interpretation of blessing? And so to do that, we go back to the beginning, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And so in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, Genesis, starting with Genesis 1, 27, uh, explicitly we get the first blessing. So here it is. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God says, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was good. God saw all that he made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So you got it, right? There's two blessings there, right? So he, day six and day seven. On day six, he creates the first humans, male and female, and what does he do? He blesses them. He blesses them. And then he creates the Sabbath. And he, he rests on the Sabbath, and what does he do? He blesses it. These are the first blessings. And so a, a blessing is something God does. He gives a, a blessing. It's kind of like his seal of approval. Like, I did this, I love this, I, this is good seal. That's, that's a blessing. The manifestation of the blessing is what comes from that. For us, we experience joy and peace and fulfillment. That's the result, that's the manifestation of God's work of blessing. So there's the first bl blessing. Genesis chapter 1 and chapter, chapter 2 in Hebrew, Hebrew, the word blessing is barach. I just throw that out there because I like to pretend that I know Hebrew enough to, to, to you know, makes, you know, anything I can do to sound just a little bit smarter. So the Hebrew here is brach, right? Blessed, blessed. So God blessed the first human creations and he blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Blessing is manifested in our experience as joy and peace and fulfillment. And so the, the, the implication is pretty clear. We should experience joy and peace and fulfillment 
Not only when we're killing it. Not only when things are going great. If it's only reserved for when you're killing it and things are going great, then it doesn't work for most of us and certainly for this world that's broken and, uh, and in trouble. Joy and peace should be manifested from God's blessing at all times. So we should live in joy and peace and contentment despite what's going on around us. Good? So I could say, okay, go do that. <laughs> go experience joy and peace. Get, get over yourself. If you're struggling, get over yourself. Just experience joy and peace and patience. But the problem is you know and I know that that's difficult. It's difficult to experience peace and contentment when we're in the midst of adversity. It's much easier to feel peaceful when it feels like everything is, is going well and we're surrounded by those that we love and we're getting affirmation and the bank account is where it needs to be. And so the question for us today is what inhibits us from experiencing God's blessing at all times? How, how do we get that manifestation of joy and peace at all times and what's inhibiting us from having that? And so the first response is pretty easy. We struggle with the idea of struggle. We despise struggle at some level. In Jesus' sermon, he is affirming that, look, there is something good in this world about experiencing adversity and struggle. Makes sense, by the way. If you remember what we talked about last week, and again, you can go to adventhope.org and catch up last week, we said, in Jesus' own words, there is an enemy at work. Jesus called the enemy the prince of this world, the Satan, the deceiver, and that basically, uh, if you're part of God's kingdom, you're living currently right now in enemy territory. So it would only make sense that if we live in enemy territory and we're on, not on the enemy's side, that you would experience adversity. In fact, if you're killing it all the time and everything is always going great for you, you might want to ask which side you're with. The prince of this world. Jesus called him the prince of this world. So if everything is always great, watch out. Jesus is affirming that there is something about adversity in this time and in this place. Listen, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you didn't need adversity, right? The, the prince of this world wasn't the prince of this world yet. There wasn't rebellion. There wasn't the brokenness. God set everything up so that there wouldn't be adversity. But now we live in a world that is ruled by someone else. And so adversity is part of the deal. And if you're never experiencing adversity, then you got to start asking yourself what's going on. I'm not saying go look for adversity. Go get yourself in trouble. Nobody's saying that. But we live in a broken world, and there's going to be adversity. And yet we despise it. And so we try to avoid it at all costs. Again, understandable. But Jesus is saying, look, when you're in the midst of adversity, there's something about that that is, is, is helpful. Because you can recognize that, that you, you, you are broken. You're part of this broken world. Those who never experience adversity, the, the tendency is to kind of think that you can fix everything. You know? You know those who've never experienced adversity and they have all the answers for everything? It's very annoying, right? Because they, they were like, oh, I, I did this. What's wrong with you? Not recognizing all that's gone behind the scenes to get them where they, they are. Because all of us need each other. But that's a story for another day. Adversity. According to Jesus, there is a something about adversity that helps us have the manifestation of God's blessing in our experience to come to peace and joy 
and contentment despite that what's going on around us. Uh, side note, there is a, I'm hesitant to call it a Christian philosophy, but it's Christians that have promoted it. And it's the idea that uh, Christians, if you really, really are a Christian, you're gonna be prosperous, right? The theologians call it the prosperity gospel. Like believe in Jesus, uh, be a good Christian, and you are gonna, you might even, you're probably gonna be rich, by the way. Probably gonna be rich, right? There are, there are pastors of predominant churches who tell their congregation, I need to be an example for you. So we're gonna have an offering that's gonna pay for my plane. I tried to pitch that at the board meeting. It didn't go over very well. The premise, though, is that if you're a believer in God, you are going to be prosperous financially. That, that the, 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 the reward isn't something that comes in, in, in the future. Like, right now, you're going to experience prosperity, financial prosperity. Well, it's people will flock to that church, by the way, right? Because that sounds pretty good. I want to go to the place where they're going to tell me that if I believe, I'm going to be prosperous. But you know what? It just doesn't line up with the gospel of Jesus. It doesn't line up with that. The prosperity gospel is no gospel at all. But secondly, we have a difficult time embracing the manifestation of blessing because our blessing radar, as we've already spoken about, is broken. We don't know what a blessing is and what it isn't. And we don't know how it's manifested. And because that radar is broken, we come up with all kinds of interpretations about God's blessing that aren't really true. Again, this was alive and well in Jesus' day as well. Uh, John chapter 9. It says, as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, now, Jesus has spent, you know, at this point, he's been with them for some time, and uh, he's teaching them, but they haven't, they haven't caught on completely yet. So his di disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? The implication is somebody did something that uh, ticked God off. And uh, God was like, well, we're going to just make this guy blind. This is, see, this is why bad belief is bad. It affects how you think about other people. It affects how you think about God. And so in their mind, uh, somebody must have done something to make this guy be born blind. Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents said he was born by, blind. Jesus, neither this man nor his parents sinned. This isn't an issue of, 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 of this guy doing something or his family doing something. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus is like, this, this guy is part of the broken world. But th th this has been allowed to happen, and now God is going to be revealed in this experience. If you keep reading the text, Jesus heals this man. All right? So the man is in the midst of adversity, and God is able to meet him in his adversity. In this case, heal him of the adversity. That doesn't always happen, but in this case, he's healed of his adversity. But because of the adversity, he's able to be engaged with God in a way that he wouldn't have if he hadn't had the adversity. And so our, our radar is off like those disciples of, of what is blessed. They're like, surely this guy can't be blessed because he's blind. And so somebody must have done something to screw things up so that he's blind. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it, it, it's a blight on God's character. God would do this? It's not how God works. 
So when we, we think when bad things happened, it must be something we did. That's not always the case, by the way. If you're struggling now, or you've got something going on, I mean, maybe you've contributed. The likelihood is you probably have contributed in some way. But the reality is we live in a broken world and bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to people who do good things. It's the brokenness of the world. It, what's, what happens when you live in enemy territory, it, what's, what happens when the prince of this world is the deceiver. And so we beat ourselves up about where we are in life or how we haven't succeeded in the way we imagine. And we think, oh, who has sinned, me or my parents? And we wreck our hearts over what, what possibly we have, could have done. The reality is the world is broken. And you may have contributed to your spot, sure, because you're part of the broken world, as am I. But let's not let our broken radar of what God's blessing is disturb what God is really trying to do in our experience. And so we've got a broken radar that affects our ability to receive the manifestation of God's blessing in our experience, joy and peace and contentment, contentment despite what's going on in our experience. Finally, uh, we struggle with receiving that because we are concerned, so very concerned with what other people think about us. And so we have to put a facade of having it all together when we don't have it all together because you can't, New York, especially here in New York, New York is a city of facades, right? If you go around looking like a loser, what is that gonna mean for you? And so we do everything possible to not look like a loser. And so we prop ourselves up and we come here looking very lovely on Sabbath morning, by the way. I should look all look fabulous. So we do that, fine. As long as we're not trying to prop ourselves up and, 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 and hide our brokenness, right? That is our challenge. So we, we worry what other people think about us so we're not honest with ourselves, with God, with, with each other. And this inhibits our ability to receive the manifestation of God's blessing in our experience because we're not honest and open to our brokenness so that we can actually receive peace and joy and contentment despite what we may be going through. And so all of these things are hindering our ability to receive the manifestation of God's blessing in our experience. So what hope do we have? Where do we go from here? Do we just try harder? Do we try harder to be joyful in the midst of our ad adversity? Do we try harder to, to, to have peace even when chaos is all around us? Do we try harder to be contempt? Contempt? Not contempt. What do we do? What hope do we have? As always, we come back to the work of Jesus. Jesus, who had peace and had joy and had contentment, even when he was suffering in ways that are hard for us to imagine. This is Luke. In Luke chapter 23, he describes it as this. Uh, when they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified Jesus there along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus, amongst the criminals, looking down now at the people who were actively crucifying, said this, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. 
And those same people that Jesus prayed forgiveness for, they were casting lots over the clothes that he had just been wearing. Jesus had peace and joy and contentment in the midst of extreme adversity. He is hanging on a cross of which they put him on, and he is able to say, forgive them. Not consumed with himself, not consumed with his own circumstances, as horrific and terrible as they are, but concerned for those who are hurting him. The only way that is possible is because God stamps his blessing on Jesus and empowers him with the spirit so that he can have joy and peace and contentment even in the midst of adversity. Because Jesus experienced that. Because Jesus had the power to do this. We have hope too that we also can be transformed by the work of Jesus. As we confess faith in Jesus, as we acknowledge that God sent him to do this, and that he accomplished what we cannot accomplish, as we confess faith in that, God is empowered to give us the same spirit that he gave Jesus, which transforms our hearts and gives a new perspective on whatever's happening in our life. So whether we're killing it or we're experiencing an extreme adversity, as we confess faith in Jesus, God empowers us to have that joy and that peace and the contentment that we will never, ever, ever conjure up on our own. This is the great hope that we have. The great hope is not that everything's gonna be fixed for us in this world. It is not. It is not. We are living in enemy territory and the prince of this world right now is the deceiver. So you're never gonna have full contentment and you're never always gonna be killing it and if you are always killing it, it's time to think about your life. We are in a broken world. We are broken people. We have uh, the, the deceiver as our prince and so you're gonna experience adversity. That's not gonna change until the Lord Jesus comes in the clouds, but right now you have the capacity with the spirit working in you to experience joy and peace and contentment here through God working in you because of what Jesus has done. So if you're here today and you're like, I got my facade up and I'm looking pretty good, but deep down it's not working, the bank account isn't where it needs to be. My friends, I don't know where they are. I'm at odds with my uh, family. Job isn't going well. Things aren't together. There's hope for you. There's hope for you. Jesus has died. Jesus has risen again. And Jesus has promised that we can have the spirit so that we can have peace and joy and contentment even in the midst of adversity. Listen, this happened to me. I, I still, I, it still baffles me sometimes. I remember sitting on the front row at the memorial service for my sister. She was 21. She was, I've told you this story before, she was killed in an accident, it was tragic. But I still can I picture myself in mind sitting on the front row at Pioneer Memorial Church at her memorial service. And I mean, it was a crazy event. People were there. There was mourning, there was weeping, it was tragic, but I had a sense of peace and joy that was beyond anything that I could conjure up on my own. And the only explanation for that isn't that I had decided intellectually in my mind that I was gonna be joyful on such occasions. That's impossible. Or I was gonna have peace and contentment. 
I mean, I'm not trying to be weird with you. I'm not saying like it was a fun time. I'm just saying there was something that was not of me, in me, that allowed me to get through that. And my parents too, tragic, mourning, weeping. You're losing your 21-year-old daughter. It's not natural. But we live in a broken world and God, as we confess faith in him, is able to give us that which we do not inherently have. This is a manifestation of God's blessing. And as we confess faith in Jesus, he's able to fill us with love and joy and contentment and whatever you need to get through the adversity that you're experiencing right now. And the likelihood is you got some pretty disturbing stuff going on because you live in a broken world, there's a broken city, there's a broken uh, community, even this church community is broken. And our only hope lies in the work of Jesus. And so today, as you confess faith in that Jesus, may he give you that which you cannot come uh, of in your own. Peter said it like this, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. If you have anxiety today, there's good news. God cares for you. The evidence of Jesus and his death and his resurrection proves that for us. And so may you experience peace and joy and contentment despite what you're going through today. Amen.